leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Last year, ChemFarm was on its way to winning an FDA approval for its opioid apodaz, designed to prevent users from snorting, injecting, or otherwise abusing. But the regulatory agency stymied the company's efforts when it declined to label it as an abuse deterrent opioid. Apodaz is a prodrug that is converted to its active form through an enzyme present in the intestinal tract that releases the hydrocodone in it. The decision sent shares in ChemFarm tumbling. Now, as the company works to resolve regulatory issues around Apodaz, it's moving forward with the rest of its pro-drug pipeline. We spoke to ChemFarm CEO Travis Mickle about abuse deterrence, the ongoing discussions with the FDA, and the company's pro-drug pipeline. Travis, thanks for joining us. You're welcome, Danny. We're going to talk about ChemFarm, its platform for creating pro-drugs that are abuse deterrent, and the FDA issues you face. Let's start with the problems of abuse of opioids and other drugs that have become a concern. How big a problem is this? Well, it's a tremendous problem. I believe the CDC came out with new statistics that still put um, accidental overdose or intentional overdose of opioids uh, as the number one um, way that people can die uh, accidentally. So this this is in advance of uh, car crashes. Uh, it's it's become a tremendous issue, not just with deaths but with addiction and um, uh, you know the related uh, abuse issues that can come from that. From an FDA from an FDA perspective, what does it mean to be abuse deterrent? Well, the FDA actually issued a guidance to industry a few years back that outlined what they deemed to be an abuse deterrent product. And they outlined different types of technologies, and many of them um, are formulation-based technologies. But one of them that they highlighted was pro-drugs. Uh, and there's, there's a number of different technologies that can be used to make something abuse deterrent. Fundamentally, abuse deterrence means it's harder to abuse the product than the comparator product. So uh, you know, a good example of that is OxyContin, um, the reformulated or new formulated abuse deterrent form. It's harder to crush, snort, um, form for injection than just OxyContin that was on the market previously. There, there have been abuse deterrent opioids approved. This seems to have been difficult for the industry to, to do. Is it a technical or scientific problem? Is it a, a regulatory barrier or are drug abusers just too clever? Why is it so difficult to make abuse deterrent drugs? 
Well, I, I think there's it's actually uh, both. It's a scientific issue. It's a, it's a regulatory issue. Uh, and at the end of the day, um, abusers are more sophisticated due to the, the prevalence of the Internet than they ever have been um, in the past. So scientifically, this is a, a nascent field. I mean, there's very little good, reliable science for regulators to rely on. Um, it's a new space where, where people at the FDA may feel uncomfortable making tough decisions. And, and then on top of it, they also know that, you know, once something goes out there, um, once the world gets a chance to look at it, it may not be as rigorous as it was in the laboratory. And so, you know, everybody's uh, really looking at this very cautiously, but it's such a much needed step. I just, I just don't see that uh, we can't move forward with, without having abuse to turn opioids. Well, in June, an FDA advisory panel voted that a PADAS, a, a pro-drug opioid you had developed, was bioequivalent to hydrocodone, but that it didn't meet its standards for being abuse-resistant. What was the concern the FDA had? Uh, I think the FDA focused on those measures that, that to date, have been represented in the extended-release products. So the, the seven products that have been approved uh, with abuse-deterrent language on their label um, all have uh, things like drug liking, drug high, that, that look dramatically different. Uh, a product like Apodaz, that's an immediate release product, um, where it's in also in combination with acetaminophen, doesn't, can't really rely on those those measures. They're too insensitive to, to, to look at uh, what the differences would be. Um, fundamentally, we saw that, that Apodaz would never be um, more abusable than if you just swallowed the tablet whole. So you can't, you know, inject it, you can't snort it. Those sort of things um, we thought were were beneficial. Uh, the FDA just didn't have the regulatory tools uh, or the scientific knowledge uh, to make that that determination. Well, people who abuse these drugs do things such as crushing them to snort them or inject them, and there's a way to speed and intensify the effects. How does the pro drug technology you're using work to prevent that? It, it does it by a different um, technology than the formulations. The formulations essentially are a goo or a gel um, or some sort of hard tablet that make it difficult to crush and snort it and eventually get it uh, in, a, in an abusable state. Um, for a prodrug, the prodrug itself is inactive. It doesn't have any pharmacology. It doesn't, doesn't create its own um, effect until it's broken down. And what we've done is been able to make it break down far more efficiently in, in the GI tract where, you know, the drug should be delivered in the first place, as opposed to if somebody tried to, uh, to snort the product or inject the product where the breakdowns can be far slower. It's not going to give them that sort of immediate reward that an abuser is looking for. Was there data you presented that, that showed that in terms of its ineffectiveness to, to snort? We, we did. We actually showed a, a couple results of two clinical trials. One of those was a study head-to-head -head with uh, another combination product. Um, that product was uh, Norco, or it could be Vicodin or, or Lortab, any, any name brand replacement you want to put in there. Um, essentially, we showed that our drug comes on later. It looks very similar to if you swallowed the product. And ultimately, the, the comparator product, in this case Norco, came on very rapidly with a with a higher peak intensity than um, than what we saw with Apodaz. Uh, but again, you know, the measures that the FDA has been looking for uh, really are, are based on the extended release products, and, and they didn't really have uh, the ability to um, to uh, approve something with with a more modest 
different. Well, you're now pursuing an ADH pro drug as an abuse resistant version of demethylphenidate. Uh, how does this, how, how does the need for an abuse deterrent ADHD drug compare to abuse deterrent opioids? Well, I think there's a, there's certainly a much higher amount of abuse of the opioid products. Uh, just the prevalence of the products out on the marketplace and, and the ability to, to get it a hold of it, um, either through legal or illegal channels is, is far easier. But stimulant abuse is a big issue as well and has been, um, historically, you know, since stimulants were uh, founded 100 plus years ago. Um, you know, I think abuse deterrence is great to have, uh, and you really need to have it with any controlled substance. The nice thing about KP415 is it also brings patient benefits, which we don't really have uh, in the case of uh, KP201, which is our pro-drug of hydrocodone. What are the patient benefits it brings? Well, we actually just completed a proof-of-concept study. Uh, it's an initial PK study, and we compared it to the product Concerta, which is the kind of the gold standard um, for uh, for care right now uh, with methylphenidate treatment in, to treat ADHD. And what we showed was uh, both an immediate and extended release profile due to the release of the prodrug or the active from the prodrug. In this case, we saw what could be better onset of action, which is great. I have two kids with ADHD, and they um, I would love to have them uh, have a little more medication in the early morning to get them out the door for school, um, as well as an extended duration that could indicate, again, a once-a-day long-acting um, stimulant will keep them again, focused throughout the course of the day into the later night where you actually start to get homework done and then wear off right before bedtime. So are you taking the same approach with Apodaz? Is this uh, the same enzyme that releases the drug and converts it to its effective formulation? No, it, it, each one of our um, pro-drugs is actually discovered individually. So the mechanism that breaks down KP201 uh, and does it so very rapidly in the GI uh, doesn't seem to be the same mechanism for KP415. We're still we're still trying to figure out exactly what that mechanism is since we're fairly new to the KP415 data. Um, but we assume that some of it is broken down quickly and the rest of it actually is uh, readily absorbed and then released slowly over time. Uh, it, it's a unique benefit that doesn't present itself with any other uh, methylphenidate-based product. This is on target right now to to head to the FDA for approval in, in 2018. Why would you expect this to fare any better? Well, again, our focus hasn't been on abuse deterrence with this particular product. We, we would love to have that, that sort of feature. Um, but with a patient benefit of better onset of action, um, better duration uh, or, or similar duration, uh, as well as the potential to have a robust therapy. That, that means it's predictable throughout the course of the day. You know, I think those patient benefits would outweigh any risk of in introducing a new stimulant. Uh, it's also a different division of the FDA that would review this. This is the uh, psychiatry division, um, and while the other one was real, really focused on opioids and, and, and pain products. And how about Apodaz? Is, is you got a complete response letter from the FDA on that? Is is there hope of addressing FDA concerns and and resubmitting it? I I think so. I mean, we've we've worked with the agency very closely after the uh, CRL was done. We had an end of review meeting with them. Um, we've uh, we've met uh, as as much as we uh, humanly can on this particular topic and other opioids that we have in our pipeline. 
And I think there's an appetite there. Um, again, what kind of tools do they need to have? What science do we need to show them to make them feel comfortable that we're addressing an issue uh, that needs to be addressed? And then, you know, what can we do with Apodaz that would, would make them feel better? Is it uh, going back and doing some reformulation? Is it uh, different packaging configurations? Uh, or is it really just about, you know, adding some more data uh, overall? I, I really do think that Apodaz is, is much needed. I think that's recognized um, at different levels of the FDA and that ultimately uh, we will have a product with Apodaz. And ultimately, is the expectation that whatever you do will require an additional study to get it past the FDA? No, and that's that's the problem. Is we we really don't know what what uh, what it will take to get it past the FDA. Um, you know, the uh, the people that we worked with so far have focused on well, is intranasal abuse of these combination products really a problem that needs solved? Uh, as you move up in the appeal process that we've actually undertaken. Uh, you tend to get people that think a little bit higher about the, the real public health benefit and policy decisions, and perhaps they think differently than the division. So, you know, I, I think we'll have to play the course of our current appeal to figure out, well, is it just a, a new label that we can resubmit quickly and get approval? Is it a new packaging configuration that we can submit quickly and get an approval? Um, or is it, uh, do we need to do some additional work? And then how long would that take? We've got a, a new administration coming in in 2017. Do you think this changes the landscape for working with FDA in any significant way? I I do. I think I think uh, you know the the leadership that's been proposed and put in place is the right kind of leadership uh, that's needed um, at the FDA. Uh, you know, it, it certainly did not hurt us that there was an administrative change that really could focus then the efforts back on what can industry do. Um, to help in this space as opposed to, you know, a more standoffish approach uh, to what our contribution would be as far as industry goes. What else is in the pipeline here and what's the time frame you're looking at for what's behind these drugs? Well, we have KP415. Um, that one, as you said, we expect to have that in front of the FDA next year, uh, in uh, 20, 2018, sorry. Uh, and then um, with that, uh, with Apodaz, we had some very good data from one of our clinical studies with just the prodrug. So we decided, well, you know, there's no reason to have acetaminophen here in this formulation. Uh, it it's really doesn't have a purpose for pain relief. So we've pursued a, a product known as KP2 on IR. Uh, it's an immediate release prodrug, and, and that one should also go before the FDA next year as well, uh, in 2018. Does acetaminophen have some kind of an abuse deterrent role to play, though, in terms of liver toxicity? It, that, I think, is a misperception. Um, we've done quite a bit of epidemiology and survey work with current abusers. Most of them really just don't care. <laughs> uh, they'll take what they take, and, and, you know, they're already taking high doses of opioid. That's certainly going to be more problematic than the acetaminophen that's there. Um, it, it's it's known, you know, and there's ways also to get around it uh, with published YouTube videos of cold water extraction and other ways that, that people are clever enough to remove the acetaminophen. And in terms of the pipeline, any, any other things to highlight? Uh, we have another prodrug of, uh, uh, of an opioid of hydromorphone. It's known as KP511. Uh, this is scientifically one of our most advanced products. It, it not only shows abuse deterrence, but also the potential for an overdose protection that uh, the more and more we gave to animals 
the the you didn't get any more release of the product, and and so there was a huge safety benefit that we have seen, uh, at least preclinically. I know your stock took a real wallop with the FDA action. It was trading as high as eighteen. It's now trading just above three dollars. Are are you do you have the cash to to advance these to FDA approval, or are you going to have to raise additional funds here? Well, that's the great thing. Um, we've positioned the company very well. We are well financed. Uh, at the end of September, we had a little over $90 million in cash. Uh, we have these three great products that we can advance that are relatively low cost to develop. So our current cash gets us all the way through 2018. That's with two NDAs on file and perhaps an approval. And, uh, you know, still getting Apodaz and moving that through the appeal process as well as advancing KP511. So we're in a great position, um, you know, probably an envious position for a company that's been hit pretty hard uh, as far as stock price, but, you know, really trying to build long-term value here. And, and when you look at the, the landscape and, and your technology using a, a pro drug as a, as a tool of abuse deterrence, what's the opportunity going forward? Well, I, I think abuse deterrence, you know, we can expand that into other opioids. We announced last year that we, we have a prodrug of oxymorphone that would be similar to Opana, um, an extended release um, oxymorphone product. Uh, you know, I, I think we can still benefit abuse deterrence from that perspective. But if you look ex- historically at what prodrugs have been used for, it's been used for things to improve bioavailability, safety, toxicology, um, and manufacturing. Um, all of these different things. So we're right now, you know, really thinking on what's the next stage for our pro-drug development, um, really feeling that uh, pro-drugs, um, as we develop them for abuse deterrence, have kind of, you know, advanced the bar pretty high, uh, but as well, you know, really focused on, you know, do we look into cardiovascular, other CNS indications, metabolic diseases, where can we advance um, the pro-drug science uh, to the next stage? Travis Mickle, CEO of ChemFarm. Travis? Thanks so much for your time today. No, thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.